0: Let's return to our seats. We're in the book of Ezra Chapter 7. This is a book of the Bible That is documenting history 450 odd years before the coming of Jesus Christ The dawning of the birth of Christ, which is the most monumental Event in all of history apart from the cross work of Jesus Christ And then we have an event coming, which is the soon and coming return of Jesus Christ this sort of is the preamble of all of that. 450 years before Christ comes, you have Ezra on the scene, leading for God, establishing temple worship that is foreshadowing the coming of Christ. We like the Bible at Anchorage Grace Church, right? So let me read a lot of it to us right now. Ezra chapter 7, verses 1 through 10. Now after this, in the reign of Artaxerxes, king of Persia, Ezra, the son of Saraiah, son of Azariah, son of Hilkiah, son of Shalom, son of Zadok, son of Ahitab, son of Amariah, son of Azariah, son of Mariah, son of Zerariah, son of Uzi, son of Bukhi, son of Abishua, son of Phineas, son of Eleazar, son of Aaron, the chief priest, This Ezra went up from Babylonia. He was a scribe skilled in the law of Moses that the Lord, the God of Israel, had given. And the king granted him all that he asked for the hand of the Lord, his God, was on him. And there went up also to Jerusalem in the seventh year of Artaxerxes, the king, some of the people of Israel, and some of the priests and Levites, the singers and gatekeepers, and the temple servants... And Ezra came to Jerusalem in the fifth month, which was in the seventh year of the king. For on the first day of the first month, he began to go up from Babylonia. And on the first day of the fifth month, he came to Jerusalem, for the good hand of his God was on him. For Ezra had set his heart to study the law of the Lord and to do it, and to teach his statutes and rules in Israel. Ezra was a leader. Ezra was a spiritual leader. A standout man who God chose to use to reform the spiritual life of his people in Jerusalem. Spiritual leadership. It's something that we should value. It's something that we should talk about it's something that we should apply to our lives. A lot of people talk about leadership. There are conferences, infinitum, ad nauseum, there are books everywhere about leadership. There are Barnes and Noble sections on leadership. It's it's a hot term in terms of thinking about how to be a success in this world, how to lead people. If you boil down leadership, I heard one person say it's really one thing. It's influence influence it's it's compelling people about a message or a mission now the goals of leadership in the world's eyes are more like fun fame fortune success you know getting a placard that says you did something in this life that's very different than the goals of spiritual leadership in the church, which is the glory of God. I just want to be used. I want to be a behind-the-scenes servant, an instrument in the Redeemer's hands. I want to make an impact for the sake of Jesus Christ. I want hearts to change. I want transformation, right? Whether you're a Sunday school teacher, a community groups leader, whether you're an educator on the week during the week in school, in Christian school or public school, whether you're a mom at home investing in the lives of children, whether you're meeting somebody for coffee, and just trying to open their heart up about the gospel. All of that is spiritual leadership. And it's something that we care deeply about if we think about it. It's something where actually you need to recognize you're a leader whether you know it or not. You're either a good leader or you're a bad leader. But you're leading. You're influencing, right? Yeah, you're either present at the dinner table connecting with your kids and wife or you're not. You're a bad leader influencing poorly or you're engaged you're involved you're caring about people you're you're actively leading but it's all leadership j oswald sanders said it best he said in his book spiritual leadership the classic text the one line is worth the book everything rises and falls on leadership it does we're called to be leaders for god and i i'm going to sort of You know, go after the men this morning, but uh, I'm going to broaden the term for spiritual leadership to carry throughout all of the family. Women, you're called to lead. Guess what? Not just called, you're called and commanded to lead. Titus chapter 2 says that the older women are to lead and teach younger women to be godly, how to love their husbands. That's a command. It's not an option you're you're commanded men, women, boys, girls, believers. Matthew 28, go and make disciples. You're commanded to evangelize. Guess what? Aquila and Priscilla were evangelizing Apollos. They were teaching him the full gospel and leading him to Christ. That's men and women. Hey, teenagers, boys, girls, you're supposed to follow this example and lead other people. You should be leading your brothers and sisters to Christ. You should be living the example of Jesus Christ that you See in your parents. We're all called to be spiritual leaders, even young people being spiritual leaders in training, leadership, spiritual influence. It's the heart of a believer because we've been made aware of a mission and we're saying, hey, I need to grab my backpack and grab my gun now and be on mission. There's no sort of sideline role in the Christian life. We're called to be leaders. Now, leadership is defined differently um, in the teachings of Christ than the world teaches. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 20, I didn't come to be served, but to serve and give my life as a ransom for many. Second member of the Trinity, King of Kings, Lord of Lords, Eternal God shows up, and he says, I want to be a servant. I want to serve. I want to give my life away in self-sacrificial service. That's leadership. That's, that's how you change the world. That's so how you change people's lives. That's how you multiply kingdom effect by having that kind of influence. The, the difference between a worldly leadership model and a spiritual leadership model is the goal is different the glory of God, heart transformation. And you have a power tool that works. This is the gospel. And it is the power of God to salvation. People doubt its effectiveness, but this is the reason to be a spiritual leader is because you know that the source is powerful and effective to change people's lives. It is. It is. It's, it's the only reason to really lead. Now we should lead, uh, I think, superficially in our businesses and in general ways. But, but really underneath that, there's a core excitement in believers where you want to lead this way with this book, to advance his kingdom that has no end. Now, let me say this up front. I am talking to all of us here, but I do believe that men are the ones who are called to be elders. They're the ones who are called to be out front leading spiritually as pastors and leaders. First Timothy 3 says an elder, his qualification is the husband of one wife. Pastors are men, but... There's a broader influence in spiritual leadership that is applied across the board to women and children. Deuteronomy 6, etc., etc. Let's look at seven essential traits that make an effective leader. I only got through five and a half, so that's what I'm going to shoot for this morning as well. Seven essential traits that make an effective leader. The first one is a spiritual leader. This is keying in on Ezra. A spiritual leader is credible. He's credible. Pick this up from verses 1 through 5, where there are 16 names attached to Ezra's ancestry or his history or his lineage. It's a a big list of names. It's bigger than most that are attached to spiritual leaders. There was no question as to where Ezra's spiritual heritage came from. He was born in Babylonia. He'd never probably been to Jerusalem. He was up there, not down there, but his history connected him to God's plan. Sixteen names to document that this is the man that is showing up to follow. Sixteen names that are backing up a movement where Ezra is going to say, Hey, follow me as a second wave down to God's mission down in Jerusalem. Now, you say we're in chapter 7, and this is the first real account of Ezra, and that's true. I mean, this is the first time we're hearing his name um, mentioned in the book that he wrote. This is the book for whom it was written. It was named after him, and he's showing up in chapter 7, but it's not too late. It's the perfect time for Ezra to come on the scene and be used as a man of God. Ezra was, he's, he was a very effective leader in god's timetable because you know what this is a man who was committed to the word of god and he was credible in his spiritual heritage if you look at some of the names here listed let me just show you what some of these names mean because they they give some of the weight behind his pedigree number one Just point out the name Sariah. That means Yahweh is prince. Sariah, by the way, was a martyr. He died by the hand of Nebuchadnezzar 129 years before Ezra. Azariah. this This is one of the three colleagues of Daniel. Remember Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego? Abednego is Azariah. Azariah is Abednego's Hebrew name. Hilkiah means my portion is Yahweh. He was a priest under King Josiah, one of the godly kings out of the many who were not godly. Zadok, the priest under David and Solomon. Amariah means Yahweh has spoken. Zerahiah, Yahweh has shown forth. Uzziah, Yahweh is salvation. Abishua, my father is salvation. Phineas was a grandson of the high priest Aaron. Eleazar was the son of Aaron. And then you have the connection right to the chief priest, Aaron, in verse 5. In chapter 2, we remember there were some people in the first exile mass that were coming back, the returning exiles to Jerusalem, who couldn't find their credentials. They were still allowed to worship if they hung in there, but they couldn't find their credentials. You can find these credentials here, and it's traced all the way back to the brother of Moses, Aaron the high priest there is a significant link here to Ezra's spirituality and his credentialing he was like a second moses leading a second wave of people down to jerusalem you might say well that's good for him what does it have to do with me you might even be sitting there squirming in your heart going you know if these people knew about who i am really they would never give me the ball to to go lead in spiritual leadership in the church. Well, guess what? Your lineage, your history, and your ancestry trumps Ezra's. Because your history, your ancestry, your heritage goes all the way back to the greatest high priest, Jesus Christ, who intercedes on your behalf, who gives you bold access, bold entrance into the Father's presence. Do we need more than that? Now, we could trace... Maybe the person that led us to Christ, to the person that led that person to Christ, to the person that led that person to Christ, or you could trace your, your history that way. But ultimately, it comes back to one man, one high priest, one God, which is Jesus Christ. As believers, we are in Christ, and that is our confidence to lead spiritually. It's the grace of the gospel that gives us the power to lead Again, I mentioned this before. Ezra was a man of the book. I want to say that up front. I'm going to emphasize that for a couple weeks. The reason he was showing up and the reason he was credentialed was this. Um, The spirituality is always fraught with dangers to go adrift right to to lean this way or that way like an old car that's got bad alignment it's like the effects of the fall in sin it's always veering us one way or the other you ever driven a car like that where if you don't have your hand on the wheel it's going to go off well God put Ezra's hand on the wheel at this point and he was leading Ezra down there to help these people out if you look at verse one it says now after this There had been a dedication that we talked about last week of the temple being built. There was great ceremony in the Passover and the Feast of the Unleavened Bread. But all of that had begun 60 years ago. That was in place 60 years before chapter 7 takes off. So there's a lot that's happened. In between chapter 6 and 7 is the book of Esther. That's the history of what was going on under Ahasuerus. There was a a lot of things that were happening where the people of God were unsteadied and unstable and they needed the baseline of the word of God back in their lives. As a uh, former surfer, I'm 40 now, so I can't say I surf anymore, but a former surfer, um, I used to go out as a teenager into the icy waters of the Atlantic Ocean in the wintertime. And I would typically go out when there was a storm because the waves didn't get big unless it was stormy. And when there's a storm, there's a great drift that goes along. If you've ever been out in the ocean um, far enough out, you know that there's sort of this subtle, almost undiscernible drift sometimes where you get swept down the coast and you're unaware of it. And so what you do when you're sitting out there is you concentrate on the waves on the horizon, but you're also looking back at, at the same time to find a marker, to find some sort of point of reference so that you know how far you've drifted down. And when it's cold, you, you want to know that because if you drift down the beach a half mile, which I've done before, you got to get out. And if you're freezing to death and running on hard ground back to your car, that's an unpleasant venture for you, Right? And so you want to know where you are. So you want to be able to find out where you are and be aware of things. And that's what Ezra is called to do. He's called to bring the word of God as a marker, as a as a bench line, as a, as a place for people to see where they are. We get caught up in our day-to-day in life and we need to hear a word from God to reorient ourselves to where we are, to be conscious of our surroundings to be conscious of our spiritual life and where we're going. Well, that's what this man was called to do. It's 80 years since these exiles, um, these these people, this first 50,000 came back from Babylonia. They, They had established the temple and it took them 20 years to do that. And so now Ezra comes on the scene, and his reputation is in place based on this background. Now you say, look, I don't have a background like that. Well, again, I want to tell you, being blameless, as 1 Timothy 3 calls all spiritual leaders to be, being blameless is not being perfect. It's talking about the direction of your life, not the perfection of your life. We're talking about something that's not earned, it's something that's observed in a life by the grace of God. When the grace of God is in your life, there's covering from past sins. When the grace of God is in your life, there's blessing in your life to lead and multiply into the lives of others. If if God didn't do it that way, then the apostle Paul never could have written an epistle. He was a Christian killer. He was going after Christians. He was uh, he was a bad guy. He was the chief of sinners. He was a wretched man per his own testimony, and God used him in a profound way because he likes to flip people's lives on their heads and use people as a monument of his grace, right? If it wasn't that way, then all of us would be hopeless and unuseful and unusable, but it's not that way. The Bible says in 1 Timothy 4, verse 7, that we are to discipline ourselves for the purpose of godliness. We're to get in the gym spiritually. We're to grow. We're to know the Word of God to grow. And as we know the Word of God to grow, then we begin to reproduce the Word of God in other people's lives. And that comes out of a credible reputation. It's built over time. Timothy. Timothy was, was sort of... Meek and mild, you can sort of infer from 1st and 2nd Timothy and Titus. Well, the 1st and 2nd Timothy specifically about Timothy. He was, he was sort of shrinking back and Paul said, listen, stir up the gift that's within you. Remember that there was the laying on of hands. There was affirmation that you need to move forward for the kingdom work. You need to be like a Navy SEAL and be all in for the kingdom of God. And that's what Timothy did. He took on a hard mission, establishing and leading The Church of Ephesus, but you know where it all began. Second Timothy chapter one talks about two people that led Timothy in his spiritual life from infancy. It was grandma and it was ma. It was it was Lois and Eunice. Lois his grandmother and Eunice his mother. And it says in 2 Timothy 3.15 that from childhood or from infancy, literally, you have been acquainted with the sacred writings which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. These women were leading him to Christ. They were investing in him. Why? Because God had a greater plan for him. When you invest in children, you're leading, you're influencing people in the kingdom and that's... The investment that's seen here. The father, it says in Acts 16 of Timothy, Timothy's dad was a Greek. In other words, he was not a believer. He was not connecting spiritually. And so the grandmother and mother took up the mantle and said, we're going to lead. Listen, women, I'm going to pick on the men for most of the time, but you need to really think about what your call to leadership is. You're supposed to have heads full of theology and backbones of steel and get out there and get on mission with the word of the living God. So much is solved in our lives when we're on mission because we lose track of the woes and the problems in our own lives as we're pointing our attention on other people. Well, a spiritual leader is not only credible. Secondly, a spiritual leader is cosmopolitan. You might say, where am I coming from with that? Cosmopolitan. Well, look at verse 6, the beginning. This Ezra went up from Babylonia. Stop right there. Again, I've said it before. Ezra was born, he was born in Babylon. That first wave of Hebrew children came up, and Ezra was a product of that and was born there. Now we know that his connection is deeply Hebrew. He's grounded in a Hebrew lineage. He's a scribe. We're going to learn about a man of the word of God. So he wasn't just sitting back idle, just saying, well, I'm part of Babylon. I don't care about my heritage. I don't care about the word of God. He cared deeply about it. He was skilled in the scripture. And that's my next point. Let's stay here though. He was also a person who could speak to the king. He could speak to a pagan king. He could go eyeball to eyeball with someone who was not like him and connect with him. And he gained respect because he was a man who was learned in the scripture. And so he had respect behind him, but he had connection with the king. He was able to ask him for things. He was able to have an audience with the lowercase k, king of kings on the earth. This is... Artaxerxes the, Artaxerxes the I, the ruler of the cosmopolitan world at the time. And Ezra had an audience with him. You might say, look, I, you know, I don't connect with all kinds of people. I, I don't get that kind of person or this kind of person. Well, that's the beauty of involving yourselves in community groups or small groups or home groups. Why do you go into an environment like that? Well, you do that because you're going to immediately be mixing with people that you wouldn't naturally mix with. And it's your opportunity to see that the Word of God is real, is powerful, and cuts through personality differences. It cuts through people who come from different backgrounds. It cuts through all kinds of things and gives you an opportunity, gives you a bridge to talk to people and influence people. That's being cosmopolitan. Paul said, I became all things to all men that I may win some. He, he even, he said, look, for people who were weaker, who were under the law, I acted weaker for them. I was sensitive to them. If they were a little bit more narrow-minded, I became a little bit more narrow-minded. For people who were free, I became a little bit more free. Why do you do that? Well, it gets you out of your comfort zone. You do that because you, you want to reach the world with the word. You want to reach all kinds of people he was cosmopolitan there's neither Jew nor Greek barbarian Scythian male nor female in the body of Christ we are co-equal heirs say I don't like talking to women or I don't like talking to men I am uncomfortable you know there's a there's a bridge there's a natural bridge that comes when you begin to use the word of God and you become a full-orbed leader number three You're credible, you're cosmopolitan, and thirdly, a spiritual leader is capable. Is capable. Look down at verse 6 again. He, Ezra, was a scribe skilled in the law of Moses that the Lord, the God of Israel, had given. Stop there. He was a scribe. A scribe in Scripture is not always a good thing. You didn't want to be a scribe and Pharisee that Jesus rebuked in Matthew 23. In Matthew chapter 23... He says, do not do what they do. They preach, but do not practice. Don't be like them. You don't want to be a hypocrite. A scribe also could sound like a boring job. Baruch is noted uh, as Jeremiah's amanuensis, the guy who wrote down what Jeremiah preached. Um, this is talking about something more than that. Something more than just a recorder or a compiler of data. That's not what a scribe is in, in the case of Ezra. Ezra was a man who was skilled. Do you see that word? He was a scribe who was skilled in the law of God. In other words, he knew how to grab up scrolls, read them, interpret them, explain them, and build a bridge from what the scripture meant when Moses wrote it to what it means to the child of God. That's what we're going to find in Nehemiah chapter 8 when he opened the word of God and explained the scripture. He gave the sense of the scripture. It's an exciting thing to do, to open the Word of God and grasp it at a level that you can, you can not only explain it, but you can give meaning in the heart of another person for what it meant to what it means to them. And then you watch it change their lives as it first changed yours. It's a wonderful thing to have access and facility in the scripture. That's what Ezra was noted for. That's what skill means. It means literally to be quick, to be speedy with the word of God, to, to have speed and alacrity with the scripture you have recall you you know where to go to give an answer to a question in the word of God it's far more than just being a scholar somebody back in an ivory tower by candlelight scribing something down no this is facility with the word of God where you're a teacher And for those of you who teach, you understand the wonderful blessing it is to be accountable to stand up and teach because you have to know it so well first in your own life to be able to teach it and for it to be able to transfer into the heart of someone else. This person was... Capable. There were bad scribes. Jeremiah 8.8 8 says the lying pen of the scribes were some of those scribes. But this was not one of them. Matthew 13 is where Jesus commends good scribes. It's a gift that many people enjoy. One person that enjoyed the gift of teaching was Jonathan Edwards. I've mentioned him from the pulpit a few times. He is a man who, if you read his history, was eccentric He would sort of bury himself in his study for 13 hours a day. He would show up for a little while at dinner and greet the family and sort of meet with them and teach them the word. And then he'd go back into the study. He was a fanatic in terms of uh, his discipline with the word of God. He loved the truth and it came out through him uh, that through the preaching of the word of God, there was the first great awakening, which really transformed and made its Christian mark on our culture that we still experience Today, people were saved. There was the spiritual revolution before the Revolutionary War. This was an exciting time in the life of our country. Now he was a preacher up in Northampton and one time my wife and I went sort of on a church history exploration just to connect with Jonathan Edwards up in the northeast and we went to the church where he preached and where that revival took place and I saw this man and he was sort of a homeless guy with an old rusty bike next to him and he was laying on the steps of the church and I said, do you real, I was just trying to bridge the gap into the gospel here. I said, do you realize the church that, that you're sitting on the steps of here? Do you realize what happened so many years ago? And the first great awakening happened through the word of God that was preached here? And he's sort of just looking at me like, uh, I don't really care. you know. But it was, it was significant to me. And if you know the history of Jonathan Edwards and you're there, you start to gain the, the traction of the significance of the preached word in places and how God did that. Well, even the church there, after the great, first great awakening, got bored with Jonathan Edwards. actually went against him because he wouldn't give communion to unbelievers, and so they kicked him out. So he was thrown out of the church, and uh, before he went to be the president of Princeton, he actually went on the mission field down the road to a place called Stockbridge, Massachusetts, in the woods. And so we went over there to Stockbridge, and he was a minister to the Mohican Indians. You can actually find sermons where he preached them to these Mohican Indians. And I was there, and I saw um, in a museum underneath the library in Stockbridge, we sort of were exploring around, looking at where he preached. I saw a monument to where um, he, his church was. I saw there was this sort of clock, you know, sun clock that was put out there where his house was. And then I asked this sort of, Keystone cop you know this very Bostonian looking rosy cheeked cop You know is there anything about Jonathan Edwards Here and he ah, oh, you know I don't know I, mean, I think the library has something well Downstairs in the basement was a library Filled with um, different um, Artifacts Surrounding Jonathan Edwards some letters Some correspondence there and then I stumbled into, into that Downstairs area and it was His desk sitting right there I mean nothing around it just his desk That he had made So it was his own invention he was an inventor and it was this hexagonal shaped desk with six panels for him to put his books and letters and things on that he could spin around as a like a spindle and it was like a lazy Susan and he could sit there and spin from one document to the next as his mind was quickly taking in the scripture it's kind of the first version of windows they said you know it's like just moving from one to the next and it works. And that was the genius of Edwards, but it was all built out of the fact that he was passionate about the word of God. And if I could just be so bold as to say, listen, as a church here, I'm still waiting for you to light up and be passionate for the word of God at new levels. I'm waiting for people to call me up, to come to my door, to say, Jeff, I need a preaching post. I need a teaching post. Why can't I teach the word of God? Help me teach the word of God here at Anchorage Grace Church. That's what happens in the hearts of leaders. Leaders understand who are spiritual leaders that they can't lead anywhere beyond this book. The book is what drives our leadership. And I want to to draft you into the army of God and say, listen, you need to be about the book. Now, I know some of you are serving in Awana and Sunday school and in community groups already. But I want to inspire you to say, look, I want to take another step of leadership by opening the word of God to people. And spiritually lead. It's sort of what our community groups meeting is about next week. To have a discussion, a dialogue, to create more venues, to multiply the effects of the word of God in the city of Anchorage through this particular local church. It's the word. There's no Torah. if There's no Pentateuch. If there's no law of Moses connected with the temple, then it was going to be a disaster. Needed the word of God. There's really two gifts in the body. I mean, there are several different ways that the gifts of the Spirit work out. If you look at 1 Corinthians 12, you look at Romans 12, you look at Ephesians 4, 1 Peter 4, those are the gift lists in the New Testament, primary gift lists. And you can sort of categorize them into one of two major themes. One is gifts of service, where you are serving like a deacon, and gifts of teaching. The only difference between a deacon and an elder in 1 Timothy 3 is the elder is apt to teach. So you have teaching and you have serving. And I want to just cry out to you and say, listen, men, women, boys and girls, let's be teachers of the book. We need to be communicators of the book. Jesus said, go and make disciples. He commanded all believers to teach all that Jesus had commanded That's the multiplying influence of the word of God. And churches today have lost sight of this. They say it's about gathering and programs. Well, that is fine. It is about gathering. It's good to be organized, but primarily it's about teaching the word of God. Because that's what changes people's hearts. It's what's always been the theme from Genesis to Revelation and everyone first John 220 has an anointing to be able to understand grasp the word of God and and teach it 1 Corinthians chapter 2 talks about how you're not naturally minded you're spiritually minded you're able to grasp the mind of Christ from this book well let's move on from there we're going to come back to this next week but the fourth quality is a spiritual leader is courageous is courageous. Look at verse six again. It says, and the king granted him all that he asked. Guess what? Ezra was no sit back scholar. He wasn't ignoring the scrolls that had been brought up from the children of Israel when they'd been brought up to Babylon. He was digging into those scrolls, but guess what? He was applying what he learned by being bold as a lion and going to the king and saying, listen, we got to do something for my people down in Jerusalem. We can't just sit idly by. we got to go down there and and I want to be sent down there and I want to lead. And the king granted his request because the king respected him. All of these things are are connected. He was credible. He was cosmopolitan. He was a communicator to, to different kinds of people. And he was a scribe who was capable and skilled. And so he garnered respect and had an entree with the king. And the king granted what he was requesting. He was courageous. He was like Joshua was commanded. Be strong and courageous. Be not afraid, neither be dismayed, for the Lord your God is with you. He was courageous like Esther, who went boldly before King Ahasuerus. Put her life on the line. Jesus promised in Matthew 10, 18 that... The disciples of Christ would be brought before kings and their lives would be on the line, but they would have a boldness there. Let me just sort of dip into Nehemiah. And this is a guy who's the next leader to lead the third wave down to Jerusalem. We'll get to him soon enough. But Nehemiah chapter 1 shows Nehemiah going to this same king and making a request. And I just want to show you the the. The thin air that 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 sort of this atmosphere of of fear and boldness that Nehemiah carried in his heart as he boldly asked for passage from the king. Nehemiah 1 3, it talks about the remnant who had survived the exile and had been and had gone down to rebuild the temple and how there was trouble and shame, and Jerusalem was broken down again, and the gates were destroyed with fire. And Nehemiah, as this leader, as this governor, was up there in Babylon and greatly distraught and distressed by this, where verse 4 says he wept and mourned and mourned and continued to fast and pray for days. So he called a fast with his colleagues, and he was praying, Lord, give me the opportunity, give me the boldness, give me the courage to just go to that king, put my life on the line, and ask to go down there and give leadership. Help me, Lord. So he's asking over and over again for that he's a cupbearer for the king so he you know takes a swig of the drink before he gives it to the king in case it's you know laced with cyanide or something so he's this cup bearer and he goes to the king in chapter 2 shows the scene in the month of nisan in the 20th year of king artaxerxes when wine was before him i took up the wine and gave it to the king now I had not been sad in his presence, and the king said to me, Why is your face sad, seeing you are not sick? This is nothing but sadness of the heart. Then I was very much afraid. That's because you're not supposed to be sad in front of the king. You know, why would the king want a person that's dour in his presence? You want encouraged people. can't be negative and stay alive as the cupbearer, so he's very afraid. He's very afraid. In verse 3, I said to the king, let the king live forever. Why should not my face be sad when the city, the place of my father's graves, lies in ruins and its gates have been destroyed by fire? Then the king said to me, what are you requesting? What are you getting? What are you driving at here, Nehemiah? You've got my attention. I see that you're not just, you know, doing a poor job as cupbearer right now. What's going on? So he's, he's got an audience. The king's heart is going out to Nehemiah, which is very, very odd in this environment. And Nehemiah praise right there he he had been praying he took concerted effort and time to pray and fast and then his heart is praying in a whisper where it says so I prayed to the God of heaven and I said to the king if it pleases the king and if your servant has found favor in your sight that you send me to Judah to the city of my father's graves that I may rebuild it he prayed hard he prayed in the moment and God gave him grace This is a spiritual leader It's a different kind of leadership than the world puts forth He wasn't trusting in himself. He was trusting in the living god and he was courageous courageous through fear You say i'm afraid of a lot of things. I'm afraid to speak in front of someone. I'm afraid to teach I'm afraid to do this. Hey, listen, I was very afraid to publicly speak in school. I I remember several speeches that I gave in high school and in college that did not go very well. God gives you grace. He gives you boldness. He gives you ability. He gives you the capacity to communicate the truth if you sort of lay your life down to him. Let the Lord work through your fears. Let the Lord embolden you to put yourself out there to be vulnerable to be in a group where someone says, how are you doing? And you respond publicly how you're doing. That's spiritual. That's what the Lord does in his body. It's the one another's ministry where you reach out to each other on a heart-to-heart level. Well, again, spiritual leader is someone who is courageous, is someone Who is capable, is someone who is cosmopolitan, is someone who is credible. These all link together. And then at the end of verse 6 in Ezra chapter 7, a spiritual leader is consecrated, consecrated. Look at the end of verse 6. It says, For the hand of the Lord his God was on him. This is a phrase that's repeated six times through the book of Ezra and two more times in Nehemiah. This is a major theme as to why things are going well for this spiritual leader. Why? Because God's blessing was on this person's life. God's hand was on him. It literally means permanent help. Hand is really the arm of the Lord. You've read that throughout the Old Testament. The arm of the Lord, the hand of the Lord is on God's people. It's blessing, it's protection. In Ezra chapter 7, if you look down to verse 27, this is Ezra's actual first-person testimony about being blessed. He says, Blessed be the Lord, the God of our fathers, who put such a thing as this into the heart of the king. Speaking of being able to leave, he says, To beautify the house of the Lord that is in Jerusalem, and who extended to me his steadfast love before the king and his counselors, and before all the king's mighty officers. I took courage for the hand of the Lord my God was on me. And I gathered leading men from Israel to go up with me. Isn't that the disposition of a leader, a true spiritual leader? You can't believe that God's doing anything through you. You can't believe that you're requested to do anything at all. I can serve. I can do this. You'll trust me with this responsibility. You'll, You'll allow me to teach the word of God. I can give my testimony. I can really do that. That's what God does, and he does it for a person that says, I'm nothing, you're everything, but I'm available. Jesus' words in John 15, apart from me, you can do nothing. You know, with the snow melt, have you seen a few dried branches in your yard? I mean, we've got some trees, and there was that windstorm that happened right before all the snow dumped on top of it and petrified it all. Anyway, what are those branches good for? They're good for nothing, right? They're just dry, dead wood that means you're going to rake the yard and burn it. On burn days, so you don't get in trouble, but all that to say all that to say That's the sort of the message of john 15 where jesus is saying look i'm the vine You're the branch he who abides in me the one who connects with christ the one who is living in christ's presence Apart from that you can do nothing But if you do that if you abide in christ, you'll produce fruit that remains If you don't abide in Christ and you try to prop yourself up with your own leadership and your own fleshly strength, then you'll be like a dry branch that sort of is not part of God's plan and kingdom. Sort of this dry stick that's going to be burned up. But instead, we're called to abide in the living Lord. And if you're abiding in Christ's presence, guess what? God will use you. He will produce fruit and fruit that remains. And it will shock you and amaze you. It sort of leads us to our sixth point, but we can't go there. It talks about how a spiritual leader is compelling. We're going to look at that next week, verses 6, 7 through 9, compelling. There were a lot of people who saw that Ezra and his life was credible, that he was cosmopolitan, that he was courageous, that he was capable. They saw these things. They saw that he was consecrated. He was a, a person who was set apart as a leader who loved the Lord. He was consecrated. They saw these things, and a whole bunch of people, a whole bunch of people followed that man. Ezra couldn't believe it, but the Lord was doing it anyway. And that's my call to you as a church. Seek the Lord. He's going to work through us above and beyond all we could ask or think. He'll do abundant and amazing things as we make ourselves available. Bow for prayer. Lord, I just want to...